Hey everybody, Matt Camp here with Deal Machine. Uh, we're proud to team up with Tom Zeeb here to give you guys a ton of free stuff. So our goal here is to give you the free toolkit to get out there and start finding off-market deals. Um, we're proud to say we're the highest rated and most reviewed app out there to go find off-market deals. And we've had over 10,000 deals done using the Deal Machine app. Now, when you download it, you can get it for free at tomzeeb.com slash dealmachine, and you'll get a seven-day free trial with that. And jumping into Deal Machine, you'll be able to go out there, start driving for dollars, start pulling lists, start finding the most motivated sellers in your market. And then you can start marketing to them directly. You can skip trace, you can send them postcards, you can knock on their door. There's a variety of things that we can help you out with using our technology. And then from there, you can actually evaluate the deals, You know, comp it, use our AI assistant to help you out there as well. You really get the full toolkit to go from you know having no real estate experience to landing your first deal using technology. So it's tomzeebcom slash deal machine for that free trial. With it, if you go through that link, you're going to get $30 free in marketing credits that cover a couple hundred free skip traces or 50 free postcards, give you everything that you need to start reaching out to sellers. So um, get out there and happy deal finding. So at that point, I think I had about 30 people on my buyer's list, 25, 30, probably pushing 50 something now at this point, but some really big pushes at my RIA standing there with a clipboard and, and pushing out the, Hey, join my buyer's list and putting it on the haves and wants and grabbing the microphone every single time, built a really great buyer's list and have some good folks on there. And I definitely had, I think I had six people come and want to check this property out in person. And one of them was one of the big flipping companies. And he was like, I never come out and see properties on myself. But you know what? You, you got me with this one. This was a good property. Real estate negotiation is a mystery to most people. It doesn't come naturally and it isn't taught in school. Yet it's the key to getting what you want in business and life. If you're ready to learn the art and science of effective real estate negotiation and want to learn what it takes to become a successful real estate entrepreneur, then you're in the right place. This is the art and science of real estate negotiation with your host, founder of Traction Real Estate Mentors and president of the Traction Real Estate Investors Association, Tom Zeeb. Welcome back to the art and science of real estate negotiation. Joined today by a recent student of mine who's had some great success and is extra happy today because literally has just come back from his first closing. So it's Roger Schultz up in Minnesota. How are you, Roger? I'm doing fantastic. It's a beautiful day here in Minnesota. The sun is out, everything is shining, and I have a check in hand. Well, check in hand and sunshine can't beat that. Nope, can't beat that at all. So tell us what happened at your closing today. Closing today was super sweet and super easy and simple, unlike the rest of the process in this first deal. As Tom always says, there's either drama early, drama late. In this case, there was drama in the middle too. But we figured it out, and today was smoother than it possibly could have been. The full closing was done in two days. Seller came in on Wednesday. Buyer came in today, and it just was super simple, in and out, signatures, handshakes, and walking out the door, and everything was clean as can be. So can't ask for better than that. Oh, very nice. So yeah, all the drama early in the middle, and then you had a nice, nice smooth day at the end. So this is your first deal, right? First wholesale deal? This is the first wholesale deal, yep. How much is that check in for that's in your hands? This check in the hand today was for $17,000. $17,000. That's an awesome first deal, isn't it? Yeah. Tom, I said a number. You didn't really flinch. I don't know. No, I know. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. No. Yeah. Good point. You catch me that's out on my negotiation technique. Always flinch when you hear a number. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe I'm just drinking too much of the Tom Kool-Aid, but I hear a number and I flinch these days. So, but 17,000, that's a great flinch. That's an excited flinch. I'm very excited about it. It was a great first deal and worked out really well. So 
Let's see. That's a pretty big one. And that is awesome. How did you get there? What happened? So the initial start of this process, I guess, really started, I can even go back before I met Tom. It really comes down to a really great contact. I had a friend of mine, Chris Schwagel, and he introduced me to the local RIA. And this was actually pre-COVID quite a while ago. I got to give him a shout out 100%. Thank you, Chris, for bringing me on that day. And I didn't stay consistently. I went to like two meetings and life wasn't in the right place. But then I knew when I needed to get the ball rolling to get back and get into it. So thanks to Chris, actually, just a little plug for Chris. He's got a book. He's actually an author on a book that just is an Amazon bestseller, Next Level Your Life. So kind of a cool thing to have that kind of a mentor in my life. And that was great. And so I was able to go back, started hitting the Minria for quite a while, but I was treading water, very much treading water. And I didn't, I knew I wanted to do something in real estate. I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to do something that could be another source of income and a way to financial freedom. And then I met Tom and meeting Tom in January of this year. So pretty recently was a light bulb moment. I knew I wanted to go to the workshop and that was great. It was awesome that it was hosted here locally and it was affordable, which made it something for that was very doable for me. So I was able to do that. And when I was sitting there in that workshop after about the first two hours, I'm like, yep, I'm hundred percent in, I'm signed up, I'm dialed in, we're doing this. And I'm really glad because it was definitely not something I had on my radar. And, you know, when you're treading water, you're just treading water. And I didn't really know where to get started and when. But then it just was, you know, from zero to a thousand miles an hour with getting everything set up. And I got to say, just having Tom's system made it doable, made it possible, and also gave me the accountability to just make it happen. So this deal came about from one of Tom's other setups because I got everything set up and set it and ready to go. But again, I found myself treading water and I needed to get that next deal. I needed to get that deal moved from just a list into an actionable item. And the deal machine um, challenge that happened, I think that was probably April, late March, early April, something like that. I was able to complete the challenge and do it. And it really got me motivated. It got a bunch of, it built a great list. And then not beyond building the list, it allowed me to take that next step, which was reaching out and marketing and actually starting to cold call. And I'm not sure, I was trying to look back today and I'm not sure whether I was able to reach this buyer or excuse me, this seller via a cold call or a postcard. And I think it was actually a combination of both that really did it. When I was first in his house and working over the deal and and chatting with him about it, he had my postcard sitting on his nightstand or sitting on his, his stand right next to his chair there. So I know that he at least had those two points of contact and that made all the difference. Nice. So lots to unpack there, Roger. Let's go through it piece by piece. So you weren't sure what you wanted to do. You had a slow start into real estate investing, mm-hmm. showed up a couple of real mm-hmm. weren't consistent yet. You said something I said clicked. You said within the first couple hours of my workshop that day. Do you remember what that was? What made it click for you? I think honestly, it was the breakdown that you had with the the exit strategies when you were kind of going through how your original start, which was just what I was exactly trying to do. You know, I'd read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I knew Kiyosaki. I knew the basic books, but it's like, okay, I need rental property because that's what's going to make me wealthy. But I didn't have cash. You know, I don't have cash laying around. And it's like, so my exit strategy of, you know, slow gains over, you know, that'd be great eventually. I'd love to get into having some rental properties eventually, but that's not the exit strategy I need right now. And I think that was the moment. And that was early on where we were breaking down those different exit strategies on, you know, what do you need now? Do you need long-term cash? Do you need fast cash? And it was kind of like, I need 
cash, let's make this happen. And I didn't even realize this was a way we could do something. And the aha moment hit, I think, right about there. Okay. So when I was going through the different options, the different exits you have in real estate investing, because I think people get oddly exit strategy obsessed. They, I want to only learn rehabbing. I want to only learn rentals. I want to only learn multifamily commercial or whatever else it is. But the exit strategy doesn't really matter at first, because the first thing that matters is marketing to find a deal and negotiating to make a deal. And so, and then you choose an exit strategy based on what you need. And over time, that's going to change. So you realized you needed cash now. And so you yep. said, I'll wholesale. Exactly. And it worked out, worked out great. Now I had flipped some of my own houses that I personally lived in, in the past. You know, I've, I've done two flips. So the first one went really, really well. You know, that's where I'll differ with Kiyosaki. Your your own personal home is not always a liability. Sometimes it can be an asset if you play your cards right, which I was very happy to do so. But, you know, I don't have the bandwidth right now to be strapping on a tool belt and be flipping a house on the side. I mean, I've got another full-time nine-to-five job still, and I've got a family. I've got two kids at home, and, you know, it's life is full-time, and that exit strategy is just not what I need right now. So getting some fast cash and getting this business started, that's the exit strategy I needed. And it was great to know that that door was even available and open. I didn't know that door existed or how it existed or how it truly worked, you know, and it, it was the Tom's method of wholesaling, I found to be a lot more palatable than some of the other things I had seen on, you know, YouTube Academy or whatever it may be. So. Gotcha. What was it that was more palatable? The fact that it's, I don't know. There's, it seems more of, you know, Tom's got, you know, you have this insight into, you know, you're being the true business person all the way through the whole process. You're there for that person the entire way through. You're not getting paid. You know, I didn't get paid until the house was fully closed. And there's just sometimes that, you know, some of the wholesalers are the big, you know, look at all the boats and cars that I have. Look how amazing I am type of people that are out there. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think sometimes the way they do business is it's so profit focused and less people focused and less, you know, business focused. And at the end of the day, this is a business about helping people. This is a business about, you know, doing something great for not only for myself and my family, but for also, you know, the community. We're fixing up a house that's in ill repair. We're going to flip that. We're going to make that community better. We're going to build up that area better. Your whole story of how Mikey was able to make some great changes in, other, in several communities. It's like, yeah, now, this is the second house in that same community that I've brought from being a pretty rough shape house to, and in a couple months, it'll be a much better house and build that community back up. So that's two in that area, in that same area, which worked out pretty nice. And you know, just something about that was easier to palette. And it was like, that's more who my personality type is. Gotcha. So it fit your outlook, your situation, your time frame, your family, and your personality type best. Terrific. Now, what, let me go back to when you you showed up at your RIA meeting, you saw me speak, you were interested, you knew this was for you. There wasn't any hesitation? I mean, was there anything that made you question whether or not you should move ahead with it? Very minimal. I just had a gut feeling. And it was one of those gut feelings. I'm like, you know, no, I can do this. And, you know, I was like, I think it, was, it wasn't at the RIA meeting. It was definitely at the workshop. At the RIA meeting, it was, okay, let's, you know, that seems like a reasonable cost for this, you know, workshop all day. And I actually don't have anything going on this Saturday, which is a rarity. It was the things fell in place. There was a reason. And I just sometimes when there's a reason, you know, and when God's got a vision for you, you just follow it. And I did know something felt right. And then going to that workshop, that's where, you know, the aha moment hit. And then I was just, you know, glued to the screen, glued to Tom and writing down as many notes as I possibly could, because I knew this is something I could do. Like, yep, nope, we're going to do this. Terrific. And the 
challenge you referred to. So I, I like to put mm -hmm. my students through various challenges. Sometimes I open them up to the public. This one was open up to the public, where we spent a week on a challenge to go find deals in your own neighborhoods, in your own area, mm -hmm. by literally driving for deals using a specific piece of technology, a specific app called Deal Machine. And so I'd cut a deal with Deal Machine and they give you a lot of double marketing credits and skip tracing credits. And I throw in some other bonuses as well. But what's most important is that people participate in the challenge. That way they can see how easy it can be to go and find deals. And so that's what you did. So walk me through what you did during the challenge so that everybody understands. So yeah, as Tom said, the challenge, the original first step was to find 100 leads. At a minimum, I think I had 106, something along those lines. And it was, you had about two, three days to get that first step done and get that accomplished. And it happened to fall over a weekend, which is nice. And it was a weekend that I was able to, you know, take my kids out in the car with me for some of it. And I was, you know, after they went to bed and all that kind of jazz, there was still a lot of snow on the ground here in Minnesota at that point. So it was, I wasn't looking for tall grass, but I was looking for unplowed driveways. Unplowed driveways. Um, <laughs> Yep. Yep. And that was a big hit. I think several of the properties I found that I thought were decent leads that were vacant homes or in pre-foreclosure actually did have those unplowed driveways. So that was a good catch there. So I spent, I think I drove a total of 108 miles is what I tracked for it in and out of different subdivisions. And now sure, there are some areas here in Minneapolis that I probably could have driven for an hour and I would have picked up, you know, 200 leads in about an hour to two hours. But I was kind of looking at some of those neighborhoods that, you know, I kind of figured a higher, you know, not necessarily a higher price point, but more that middle class price point, you know, and let's find those neighborhoods that, you know, are a little bit older, you know, you know that 30 to 40 year old home, something along those lines. And that's just kind of like, my, that was my sweet spot. And I've definitely continued to add more lists to that. And there's more time and there's less leads, but they're better leads. And when they come through, they come through. I think they can, they're going to come through with a better number. And you're not also dealing with some of that war zone stuff that you might in some of the other places. I mean, there's some rough hoods. And eventually, I think I might end up adding some leads down in those areas. I'm not opposed to that. Nothing wrong with that. But I think for this initial part, I kind of live out in, you know, that it was close to home. It was easy to do, easy to get out and start adding those leads. So that was the first half. And then the second half was that marketing. And it was more than just the one touch of marketing. It was a two-touch marketing, which was a real challenge for me. And I'm glad that it was because it broke the ice on some things. You know, sending Deal Machine, you know, I can't speak highly enough of the app and the people that work the app and the assistance, just the the chat feature with asking questions. I mean, I asked some of the most silly questions in the first two weeks and they were able to answer them with no problem. And Tom's given us some credits to do the challenge, made it even easier. It was just a no brainer. And then how fast and easy it is to do at least the first part of marketing, which is sending those postcards that can be directly done in like three clicks and in utilizing a, you know, an actual photo that you take of the house as you're driving by. You know, I tend to use that method better than, you know, there's ways of using the street view method. If you've got the pro version, I've just been snapping photos of every single one I drive by and it's kind of, it's more personalized, I feel like, and yeah. I like to go that extra step. And it also shows you the time of year and when you drove by exactly. It's like, yeah, I was just there and I see your driveway still unplowed, which if it's an absentee owner, that might be an indication of, hmm, hey, this house is in really you know bad shape and someone's not plowing the driveway who's supposed to be. So it's kind of that nice little indication. I really liked, you know, I like that about it. And then, so that was the first touch. That was easy. That was, you know, I didn't actually have to talk to anybody. Then I had to call people, cold call people. And I've got no problem talking to people all day long, but there was something about dialing the phone and making those cold calls that was just, it was a task that was daunting and hard to start. 
But once okay. I got rolling with it, once I got rolling with it, it was, you know, just peeling off that Band-Aid, right? Gotcha. Daunting, hard to start, so a little bit intimidating. There's that big unknown. Yeah. What unlocked it for you? And why did you just do it? And then what changed? I couldn't let you down. <laughs> <laughs> I had to make the challenge happen. I had to do it. I had to do it. And I knew, you know, I kept going back to that analogy that you always use, which is, you know, the slap on the wrist, right? Like, mom, they're just, I'm just going to have a hundred people tell me no. And you know what? That's okay. And I'm okay with that. And oh man, some of those conversations were actually comical. I had to walk away from the phone for 10 minutes just to laugh of how angry somebody got of the fact that I got their phone number because it's public access. You know, it's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, no big deal. Thank you. Have a nice day. You know, but you know, I got to talk to some great people. I actually added three people to my buyers list through it. I found some investors where, you know, was, you know, that was one of their houses and oh no, I'm never selling that house. I'm like, well, it's going to fall over in about two days. So yeah, good for you. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Then sell a lot. So yeah. So that was kind of the, yeah, just getting that initial jump is what got me started. It was, a, it was having the accountability, having that extra push. And now I've got the confidence. It's like, I've done it myself. I've done it before. I know I can do it again. And so now it's just a matter of, you know, cold calling a bunch more people that and setting aside a, a deliberate time, you know, a couple times a week or a couple times a month to just burn through a, a call list. To do it. Absolutely. My students have heard me say, and I honestly going to say this a little bit cheeky, and I mean it to be a little bit cheeky, but there's nothing like your first time, right? Your first deal is a magical, wonderful experience. So, right, you're feeling that euphoria right now because you're, you know, an hour or two after settlement this morning. But the second time is actually a lot more important because that's when you know mm -hmm. for sure that you did it. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't random luck. You actually made it happen again, and it that changes your mentality entirely. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to that next deal. And, and, and even though this deal has been going on, I've, I've been joking with Tom a little bit here that, oh, yeah, I'm just focused on this deal. I'll get back to marketing after I move on. No, that's definitely not the case. We've been, I've been doing a lot more driving for dollars. I've added a bunch more onto the list and gotten a lot more postcards pushed out. And if nothing else, this you know, having the first deal go through gave me the motivation, you know, like knowing that there was a you know light at the end of the tunnel gave me the motivation to just keep, keep adding leads, keep adding stuff. And now that, now that I've got that first check, you know, this is, it makes a big difference because it allows me to have a little bit of cash to play with. Now I now have a little bit of a reservoir that I can dip into for marketing. I'm going to be a little less, you know, because I was pulling from my family's funds, you know, and to be able to go buy a box of bandit signs, you know, a couple hundred bucks is a couple hundred bucks. I'm going in, pushing out a bunch of postcards. It's like, well, that list that I have, that's a really good list that I was really whittling down for absentee owners. Now I can be a little less stringent on it and I can just push it out and maybe have a better chance of casting a wider net. Maybe I catch a, another big whale. Maybe I get a little trout, but I, I'm happy with anything that's, that's going to be caught. So Either way, you got the fish. It's good. So wait a minute, let's think about Absolutely. this. I just punched it into the calculator since I can't do math in my head, but you made $17,000 on 106 leads that you put in the deal machine during the week. Mm -hmm. So dividing that out, you're at about $160 per lead. So every mm -hmm. time you put a property in, it was effectively making $160. That's one way of looking at it. Absolutely. Yep. And, and had a, a conversation at the last Minria with another gentleman, with Chris, actually. And he was, it was kind of, we were talking about the cold calling of people being that, you know, that hurdle point. And he had brought up the point of like, well, 
So give me rough numbers. And I gave him rough numbers. It was like, okay, so how many calls do you think you need to make to get the, to get the next deal? And how much do you anticipate to make on the next deal? And I'm like, well, I think, I think it'll probably take 300 leads to get another deal. I'm being pessimistic, realistic, whatever you may be. So, and I'm willing to do 300 leads for the next deal. That's great. And he says, okay, so how much do you expect to make on the next deal? And I said, well, Tom's average about 10,000, you know, I think is a good fair number to be, to call it out. And he goes, great. Now do some simple math. What is that per phone call? $33 every phone call. I'm like, well, that makes me feel a lot better making a phone call, knowing that every one I'm getting paid about 33 bucks. That feels great. And so it was one of those, like, I'm not just doing it for the sake of doing it. I'm doing it because no, this is how I run my business. This is how I make money. And this is how I rip that bandaid off of just sitting down and pounding through, you know, a list in an afternoon. Yeah. You got to rip the bandaid off. And what if somebody's mm -hmm. afraid of pulling that bandaid off and actually getting it done? I mean, what advice do you have to somebody like that? Talk to your significant other or a friend or a family member. Call them as if you're cold calling somebody else and give your spiel. I found the first time I left a voicemail, I was like, what do I say? You know, <laughs> hey, I was the creeper driving by in the white car that was taking photos of your house. You know, saying, and the fun part was, is having this conversation with individuals on the phone. It was like, some of them were saying, I can tell you've done this before. You know, I know you've been doing this for a while. I definitely want to go with you and work with you because I know that you've got this experience. And, you know, it was like, little do you know, this is I'm brand new. I've never done this before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, just had, I think it was just having that confidence. And so if that means that you need to practice with somebody, you know, sometimes just talking to the wall or talking to your car as you're driving somewhere or talking to a family member and making those cold call practices that might help i know it took me probably a couple of stumbled over voicemails and not remembering to have my new work phone number in front of me i had to have it written in front of me so i could read it out because i don't have it memorized so having that set up you know there was a couple of stumbles of my phone number is oh wait <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, what is my phone number? I don't even know my own phone number. But so yeah, yeah, that's definitely one key word of advice or place that you could get some practice in. Excellent. Now think back to when you drove by that property for the first time, when you initially tagged it in the Deal Machine app and added it in, and then mm -hmm. it was there were 105 others. Was there anything that stood out about that one immediately as being special? Yeah, there was a couple things. There was the first thing was it definitely had bad fascia boards and bad siding. There were woodpecker holes drilled into the siding. And the yard, despite being mostly covered with snow, you could just tell was neglected. It was it was a neglected house. But the other thing that really stood out to me that hit me kind of on a personal level was it was the exact same style and build of home that was my first home and flip, which was actually nine houses on the other side of the block up from it. So it was on the exact same block that I did my first flip. And it was the same house just in reverse. It was in mirror mode. The, you know, the door was on the right instead of the left or left instead of the right. So that was what triggered me. It's like, hey, I know that model of home. I know I can put a number on that. I know what it takes to flip that because I bought a very distressed home that was identical to it. So it was that rang true on the first drive by and it was like, yeah, boom, take the ad. And it was hard to get around the trees to get a decent photo of the house, but did that. And, uh, you know, then of course it was, I was still focused in, in the mode, right? And when you're adding leads and you're just driving, it was boom, add it and kept, kept driving down the block. I think I added one more on that block and you just kept rolling. But the initial impact was, hey, that's the same house. That's a good lead, but you still had no way of knowing that would be the lead that turned into nope. a $17,000 profit. No, nope. and it wasn't until I made that phone call and then got a phone call back. And I wasn't sure, like I said, if it was the postcard 
or the phone call because it was a couple days after I'd done cold calls. But the initial response I got back from the seller was, so how do we do this thing? (laughs) And I'm like, do what? Who are you? Nice to talk to you. You know, what's your address? Where are you at? And I was able to work the deal from there with, with, with that gentleman. So how did it go with the seller? Because I think there's always a story behind each and every seller. What was the story on this one? This is a big story. This is a lot. So I initially had a quick conversation with him and I could tell he was struggling to communicate over the phone. It was kind of hard to have a conversation with him. And I was like, you know, I'm still early on and I have the time to go make a, a swing by. And he was actually kind of on my way to work anyway. So on the way home from work one day, I swung by his house and got to meet the seller and initially just walked in and, you know, he had three dogs that were barking up a storm and the house on the inside was worse than it was on the outside, just unkept, unclean and falling apart. And, you know, got to having a good conversation with him. And I was like, so what are you looking to do here? And he's like, I need to move. I lost my job recently. I, I want to go to Iowa. I need to go move down there. And he had friends, he had family down there and he was excited to go move down there. He didn't know where he was going to live. He didn't know what he was going to do, but he was going to move to Iowa and that's what he wanted. And he wanted out of his house. So I made him, you know, kind of through the course of the conversation, through a walkthrough of the house and was able to take you know, a ton of photos, put some things together and was able to come up with a number for him. So came up with a number and, and chatted with him. And the only thing he was concerned about was getting enough money to be able to pay for a moving truck to, to get down to Iowa. At that point, that was his only concern. And I was like, okay, yeah, we can definitely make that happen. You know, what do you owe on the house? Well, he had no idea. He couldn't tell me what he owed on the house, didn't know it off the top of his head. So I was able to help him walk through some phone calls and we got a hold of this mortgage company and figured out what he owed on it. And then from there, it actually was like, it gave me a good ballpark too. It was like, well, I need to make sure he's got a little bit of something, but I also know what the house is worth. And so I was able to offer him a lower deal and we were able to settle on, you know, a good number. And that gave him some and then gave me some working room as well. So it was good at that point. And everything was going smooth at this point. Things were going well and we got it under contract. There was a little bit of some hesitation in there at the very beginning, mainly because I was just nervous about, you know, how far out do I put this contract? Because he has no idea where he's going. And that's where my first time. You hesitated. I did. I hesitated because I wanted, I didn't want to make, you know, somebody homeless, right? I knew he wanted to go to Iowa, but I'm like, but where are you going? And I could tell that, you know, things were, he was, you know, coherent and he was able to communicate and he knew what he wanted to do. He knew he wanted to sell the home. He knew he wanted to move but he didn't know to where, and he didn't know what he was doing. And he was a guy that, you know, he didn't have email. He didn't have, after the first call, I got a lot of missed calls from Mark. I was getting five, six accidental missed calls on an almost daily basis. It was like, hi, Mark, you called me again. What do you need? And, oh man, darn it. You know, and he'd be all, all upset because he's accidentally bumping buttons on his phone and things were going well. You know, the big, like I said, the big hesitation there was not really understanding how long of a time frame to get him. And so I, after a conversation, I was like, how does, how, you know, it's longer than I want to do. I'd like to be closed fast here, but I need to do what you need. And I was like, do you think we could do this in 60 days? You know, I'll give you a 60 day, two month window to be able to figure out what you want to do. And I'm really glad that we did. And we actually almost used that full 60 days too. Funny how it works. Sometimes things expand or contract mm-hmm. the time frame. But I mean, in this guy's case, he needs to move. He's not sure where to move. That doesn't exactly happen overnight if you don't have anywhere to go. So, mm-hmm. so no. he did wind up moving. What happened and how did you facilitate and help him with that process? So Mark stayed in continuous conversation with me. And over the course of the next month, I kind of noticed some red flags, some things that weren't 
quite right with Mark. He was struggling with some more things. And there were some days that he wasn't as fully cognitive in there. And he kept talking about his one cousin and his cousin in Iowa. And he's like, well, she's going to take care of this and she's going to make, I'm like, you know, why don't we give her a call together? Let's make this happen. So we called her together and she was definitely standing up for him. She's like, well, what's going on here? I'm like, well, I've got a contract with the seller here and to make this take a deal happen. And her first response was, well, you're giving them a fair deal, right? Yeah, absolutely. Of course I am. Because I did my due diligence and I made sure that he was getting what he needed and I was getting what I needed. And we settled on a good deal. Absolutely. I'm doing him right. Well, after that, you know, the initial response with that cousin was, you know, defensive in, you know, in Mark's corner, which it needed to be. And I respect that she did that. But then she became my absolute best friend over the next couple of months because I brought to her attention Mark's condition and how it was failing and how there was some flags that were coming up and she actually did come up and visit him. And suddenly I got a call and it was actually on one of Mark's worst days uh, that we've had in the last couple of months. And she was there, some other family members were there and they realized the situation. None of the other family had been in his house in 10 years and they didn't realize what had happened to the house, what had happened with him and how he was just not in a good state. So because I reached out to the family, because I was, you know, curious and, you know, trying to help him, get a place to stay, get the care he needed. And then throughout the entire process, I was, you know, working directly with Val, with the, excuse me, with his cousin, working directly with her and working directly with the seller and and making sure that we had, you know, great communication in everything that, that the, the seller needed along the way to help him with what he needed. So his mental health is failing. He's the... Yep cousin in the family that, and probably everybody has this in their family, he's the cousin in the family who nobody's talked to in a decade. 10 years has gone by. He's just continued to exist, but nobody's really paid any attention or cared too much, right? I mean, everyone's busy with their own. I understand. And then you came along and one cousin kind of slightly jumps to the defensive, wondering if you're a big, bad investor trying to take advantage of her cousin. But then you prove yourself and you win her over. And you said yep. you, she became your advocate to make sure this property got sold through you. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yep. I found out that she did have a little background in real estate herself, which had helped her make sure that under, she understood the process and which was great for me and ended up being a, you know, a real advantage to me. But yeah, there were some other family members that also came out and noticed the situation of the seller and several of them were coming up with some wild ideas about you know what needed to happen with the house. And how they needed to make something else happen and how I was not giving them a fair deal. And <laughs> meanwhile, this other cousin who started off on not the greatest foot in the first like five minutes, but after that was totally in my corner. She was totally fighting for me. Like, no, he even probably more than he should have. He gave him a great deal and we, he needs to be out of this house. He needs to be in a better situation. He needs to have everything set up. He needs more care. This situation is worse than we thought. And you know, I was able to actually go and meet those individuals, meet the family that was there. You know, they request that I come out and, and chat with them face to face. I'm like, absolutely, no problem. I'll be right there. So I was, I was actually, it was on another weekend and I was hanging out with my family. And I just, I was like one of those, hey, I'm, this is something I need to do. So I facilitated that. And we thought we had everything pretty well scared, squared away. We had, we had some things set up where he was going to go live with his brother in Oregon and things were kind of, starting to move in the right direction. Now, mind you, this is over the course of about a month and a half. We're talking about 45 days at this point, 50 days. And things were, we thought things were going well until all of a sudden it was like, okay, great. So we're good to set this closing date. Can we have, you know, can the seller be out by this day? Can we make, can we need to schedule a close? 
and we get, need to give the title company a little time to get their ducks in a row. And so, of course, with working with the titling company, with working with, you know, because at this point I had already had a buyer lined up, that happened very quickly. You know, the buyer came in within, I think it was two weeks after the, the, the contract, I had the assignment contract go through. How did through, you find your buyer? You know, through my buyer's list, of course. Excellent. How would yeah. you so, your buyer's list? So at that point, I think I had about 30 people on my buyer's list, 25, 30, probably pushing 50 something now at this point, but some really big pushes at my RIA standing there with a clipboard and and pushing out the, hey, join my buyer's list and putting it on the haves and wants and grabbing the microphone every single time. Built a really great buyer's list and have some good folks on there. And I definitely had, I think I had six people come and want to check this property out in person. And one of them was one of the big flipping companies. And he was like, I never come out and see properties on myself. But you know what? You, you got me with this one. This looks like a good property. Looks like a good number steal. And I need to see this one. So that was kind of fun too, to have, to have that. I remember very early on, just after I first met you and initially trained you and then and brought you into the Total Traction program, you had sent me a picture of you working the room at your RIA, building your buyers list, just like I showed you how to do, because it's, you know you have hungry buyers, it puts even more pressure, good pressure, but pressure on you to go and find deals to feed to these people that you just met. Absolutely. And you know, some people argue, well, find the deal first, then build your buyer's list. Some people argue, build your buyer's list, then find the deal. You know what? It doesn't really matter. You got to have, you got to have people. Yeah. You got to have a group of people that you, you know, might be interested in buying it. Otherwise you're putting your wholesale deal on Craigslist and that can work. You never know. But at the end of the day, it's one of those, like, it was really great to know that, you know, having a RIA and having that locally is, has been huge. And just being have to, able to have those connections of, to those investors. And now I've added not only just people from my RIA, but I've, my bandit signs have added four. They haven't added a good lead yet, but they've added four people to my buyer's list. So that's a great way to do it. I've added three people through Deal Machine to the buyer's list that were people that were investors that I called on one of their properties. You know, so it's, and that's part of the business is something networking, shaking hands with people, very comfortable with doing that, getting up, standing in front of people. That's never been a problem for me. So building a buyer's list is great and easy and fun. And I was happy to bring people deals. Now I just need more deals to bring them. So, and that's where we keep marketing, right? Keep marketing. Exactly. Now, well, another thing I want to tack back to is making sure that you reached out to the family. You weren't, they asked you to hey, come and meet us and you did. A lot of people would be shy, they'd be hesitant, or they're trying to cram a deal through because they're not sure it might blow up. You know, you must have had some concerns about the mental health of the seller. and But rather than hide from it or try to sneak one through, you just dealt with it head on, which makes you a hero to the family no. and a hero to him mm-hmm. and is the right thing to do. So what kind of caused that decision? So for me, it was, I want to do right by somebody a hundred percent. You know, I am not going to make somebody homeless so I can make a buck. That is definitely not something I want to do. And yes, did I have him legally under contract? And did I have a buyer legally under contract? Yes, I did. But I also know that I had a couple different outs. I had a couple different escape clauses. And if nothing else, I could just let that 60 days terminate and contracts void and then we're moving on. And I made that very clear to the family too. I said, listen, if I'm here to do what the seller needs, I'm here to do what that seller needs and and in any way, shape and form. And if that means that for the seller, I need to walk away from this, absolutely. And and I made that point extremely clear. It's like, you know, yeah, this is a deal. I'd love to see this deal go through. Of course I would. I've got vested interest in this deal, but his interests are more, you know, mean more to me. And he reached out to me needing help. And what he needed was to get out of this house and move to Iowa. And that's what I facilitated to him originally. 
and I'm willing to do that. But if you as a family decide that there's something else, you know, I've got enough ways to exit this and I have no money on the line. I get my earnest money back, my $100 earnest money. I get that back. That's no problem. We'll come back to that with the closing today, that $100 earnest money. But yeah, so I had no nothing to lose. You had nothing to lose. And you had more to gain by doing this. I think that's the point I really want to draw out of this was a lot of people worry about, oh, how am I going to get through? Why won't they go somewhere else? You know, Who's to say that somebody else won't sneak in? Or why doesn't the seller change their mind? But it always comes back to the reason they don't run, the reason they lock into you and only you, the reason you become the only logical choice is because you've built an excellent rapport with them. That rapport creates a level of trust. And in, particularly in this scenario, where you're reaching out to the family, you're being very open and honest about it, and you're willing to walk yeah. away creates a, a yep. quiet confidence in you that therefore mm-hmm. that level of report that's built, they're locked in and you're locked in and it the deal doesn't yep. fall apart. It actually builds it up and makes it more secure. Absolutely. And I could definitely feel that rapport build with that one cousin in particular. And the fact that she knew that I was, you know, fully in his court and I was fighting for him and fighting for what he needed. And I was giving him a fair deal. I was helping him move, you know, move on into a better situation, get change. And that I was, you know, communicating with them. At, you know, every time I went and saw him, it was, hey, saw the seller today. You know, just wanted to give you a heads up that he's doing okay today. And he was in a good place. And I did swing by that house quite a few different times between, you know, having to do showings or having to get little amendments or addendums signed or little insignificant things that normally we would do virtually. But with this seller, he has nothing virtual. So it was a little more hands-on. It was, here's a piece of paper I need you to sign. And here's some things I need you to do along the way, which was great because that also gave me the opportunity to check up, up, up on him. And he reached out to me. You know, Like I said, I was getting multiple missed calls from him, but a few of them were on purpose. And a few of them were, hey, just looking to see where this deal is at. And it's like, well, the deal is in place. Do you have a place to go? And that's where we started to notice that he needed more care and he needed more help than just getting something done because he couldn't function for himself. He couldn't go find a place for himself. So which kind of kind of leads to the next hurdle that we got through. Which um, so that being said, so going back to where we left off with, we had a place for him with his brother in Oregon and that was great. And things were set up and we're getting close to zero dark 30. I have the closing scheduled. Everything's ready to go. Everybody's primed. And a day after I schedule the closing, I get a phone call from the cousin saying, we just got some bad news. We found out the reason that this brother wanted him to move in with them is because he's a drug addict and wants to steal all of the seller's money and wants to support his habit. And he's just going to use him for his money and not give him care or what he needs, not going to take care of him, which ended up being, believe it or not, that ended up being the biggest blessing, not just because it, things actually ended up working out even better beyond that situation. But it was one of those, oh man, are you kidding me? So here's that drama in the middle, right? I had her drama early, you know, now there's more drama. And it was like, oh no, what are we going to do now? Well, it turned out that the cousin was able to find some assisted living and facilities. Actually, she had a couple of options that were down near Iowa, where he wanted to go originally out of the city. He wanted to get out of the city and that was great. And she found him a great facility that was able to give him the care that he needed, was able to help him with the things that he needed help with, and was really a great place and a great setup. And so I just got word yesterday. So his closing was on Wednesday, which was two days ago. And then this morning, even I got a call from the cousin saying, we got him out yesterday. Yesterday was a very emotional day for him. Emotional joy. 
<laughs> yeah, he had, yeah, yeah. And this is a guy that, I mean, you know, he, you could tell he was, you know, he had been a forklift operator, was kind of a tough guy, if you will. He had some tattoos and he apparently completely broke down yesterday with tears of joy of just how much care he had from all the different people that were helping take care of him. You know, his cousin that was kind of estranged, you know, stepped up and did an amazing thing for him. They took over his finances. They took over his stuff. They helped him get the care he needed. And they put him in a new place that was, I mean, you know, he's been living in a tough place for a while. And he's now in this clean place with food. And they're going to help him, you know, be clean and care for himself and give him the care he needs and the medical attention he needs and get him, you know, hopefully to a better place. And he just broke down with tears of joy. And the cousin called me reaching out, thanking me up and down for everything I had done to facilitate this. Now I'm just waiting for that testimonial letter back from her. But she's like very, very willing to do it and extremely happy with every way that everything went and extremely happy that she kept fighting for me in my court because I went, you know, I did go above and beyond for him in the situation. So a couple other hurdles had come up in between, but it was worth it. It was worth every bit of it. Now, that sounds like win, win, win all the way around. I mean, there's no losers in this story. There's no losers in this deal. No, there's not. And it was, even though I didn't know him, I mean, he was still my fellow man. He was still, a, you know, a neighbor of mine and whatnot. And I was able to really help him out with his situation. I was able to get him care when no one else knew that he needed it. And now he's going to be, you know, his his quality of life has just gone up tremendously, yes. you know, and it's and, and honestly, I was I wasn't expecting that when I got into this, I wasn't expecting to be a social worker. My wife's a social worker, <laughs> not me. You know, uh, so it was this was not what I expected getting into this. But I tell you, the reward of that is almost is well and above that check that I got today. That's interesting, isn't it? So how does it feel? Mm-hmm. To have been, I mean, to literally have taken a challenge running around with the deal machine app, tagged a bunch of properties. <laughs> And now you've massively improved somebody's life and well-being going forward. How, how does that yep. feel? It's unbelievable. It's hard to put words on. I think I'm still in the shock of that, the fact that the deal is done and I'm not stressing anymore about it. It's the first one. I was a little overly stressed about this deal, but I had a lot into it. And the more time I put into helping the seller out, the more I wanted it to happen. And not just to have the deal happen, but to have him get what he needed. And there were so many times that, you know, I mean, this is over the course of, you know, the final date, 60 days would have been the, I'm looking at my contract here, 60 days would have been the 15th of June coming up here. So we're almost pushing that's next week. So with that, you know, that deadline staring me down, it was, can we make something happen? And now that it's happened, it just doesn't feel real yet. But I think over the next couple of days, it's going to hit me more, but you know, just that phone call I got this morning from the cousin really put things in, in great perspective. And, you know, the feeling is is unreal, but it's more than just a feeling. It's knowing that, you know, hey, I can and help more people like Mark. And like I said, originally, I knew I needed a side hustle. I needed some extra. I wanted to build a business. I wanted to do something in real estate. But now it's like, no, I'm, I'm in this business of helping people and I can really help people. And I've got the ability to do that. And that is almost more of a motivating factor than the side hustle, which it was, which eventually might become, you know, the primary business. We'll see. Isn't that interesting how you can take something that people are doing for the money, for the improvement in their finances, the improvement in their lifestyle, and yet it's offering a meaning that's even deeper than that. The meaning from actually helping out somebody else, helping fellow men get better, Mm -hmm. be better. Yeah. And it's, it, it was beyond rewarding. I mean, the funny thing is, is I built such a great rapport with that cousin that I was talking with her, you know, constantly. And it's almost like, you know, and then I did do a lot for her too, to know that her family members in a better place. But, you know, at the end, it's like, 
you know, how many times did I really talk to the seller? I mean, I talked to him quite a bit along the way, but I really don't know him, but I know that I'm doing something really good for him, you know, and it just, it's good ask. I said, Hey, listen, you know, do you mind giving me a call in a year or so? And just let me know how he's doing, you know, cause I, I genuinely care. I, at this point, you know, I've spent two months of working with this guy and it's like, I genuinely want to know, you know, is he, you know, maybe he'll turn a corner, maybe he'll suddenly get better and you never know he might, or maybe if things do that they plateau, well, maybe they plateaued and they didn't get any worse because he's in a better place. And if things go south, I know he's in a great place getting the great care that he needs and it's not going to turn into a bad situation like it definitely would have if he would have remained where he was. Absolutely. Oh, it's very cool that way. What do you think your overall, I mean, it happened over two months, but what do you think your actual mm-hmm. time investment was? How many hours did you put in the, to finding it, dealing with it, talking on the phone to him and his family and managing the settlement and managing the closing? Yeah, you know, I was really trying to put a good number on that. And I was trying to think about that today because I knew you were going to ask. And, you know, I got to say, it's got to be somewhere around the ballpark of 20 hours, somewhere along those lines. So, <laughs> 20 hours, like half a yeah, week. 20 work. hours. Half yeah. I mean, if I would have crammed it all in one set, it probably would have been, you know, 20 hours, maybe 24, you know, something like that, you know, but who's, you know, but looking at it, it's like, yeah, that dollar per hour rate looks pretty darn good. Yeah, it's not exactly an overwhelming amount of time. And yeah, that works out to 850 bucks an hour. That doesn't sound too bad to me. I can deal no, with that. Doesn't either. <laughs> Most people are very happy with $850 an hour. Roger, there was one kind of underlying theme that's come up here. And I know we've talked about it on some of the monthly calls that I offer in, in the Total Traction program that you've been involved with. It's this concept of being a nice guy or a good guy and understanding that difference because I think people fall into the nice guy trap. Nice is, I've got all sorts of issues with nice and being called nice. And I've told you, your goal is not to be a nice guy. Your goal is to be a good guy. And this goes for the gals too, right? Mm -hmm. You know, good gal, bad gal, that kind of thing. But talk me through what the difference between nice and good has meant to you. That was actually one of the great thing comments that you had made along the way. And it was one of it in one of our conversations. And there were that one of the big things is, yeah, I was there for him. I was doing what I needed to do. But at the end of the day, you know, if someone was going to, you know, tell me to tear my contract up because they thought I was giving them an unfair number, that ain't going to happen. And if they thought that, you know, and that that was their only reasoning behind it, like there was another cousin that was trying to get involved, trying to say that, you know, he thought I wasn't doing right by this person. Well, I can definitively tell him that, no, I know I did right by this person. And I know I did, you know, everything. You know, I actually probably gave him more than I should have in this whole scheme of things. But, you know, no, there, yeah, there's times to be firm. There's times to know when you're in the right and not to just let somebody else nibble right? You have to be able to be there to be a good, kind-hearted person, you know, have that, you know, be always present, be always be professional along the whole, the gambit of the deal. But at the end of the day, right, don't get pushed over for being nice. And that's one of those big traps you can fall into in real estate. Real estate is one of those, it can be a great business. It can be a lot of fun, but it can also burn you really, really bad. There's a lot of people out there that, you know, are professional tenants that will do, if you want to play the nice game, you want to be the nice guy, you know, nice guy, we know we're like nice guys finish, right? Nice guys finish last. And, you know, you you want to do everything that you can to help other people out, but also you can't put that at the sacrifice of your own financial security or your business or your own life, right? Correct. We deal with people with problems that we can solve by buying their properties from them. We are not taking over other people's problems, making them our own. That way it destroys us. 
and because that exactly. that might be nice in the moment, but then you're destroyed. And what good does that do you? That's not good for anybody. So yeah, that, no, that constant, not. yeah, nice guys finish last. Good guys finish strong and solid with a great track record to look back upon and are in then a position to springboard forward to help more people. Isn't I think that's much better. That is much better to be good than be nice. Absolutely. For sure. And that's definitely the attitude that we had for it. And and that's the attitude I continue to have. You know, I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be professional, you know, and, and whether it's I'm talking to a person on Craigslist and trying to buy their house and they're boasting to me and cussing me out all at the same time, well, I'm going to say, well, God bless you and have a better day. You know, that's where, you know, <laughs> I'll be kind back, but I won't be nice. I will very, very abruptly hang up that phone and move on. So, but yeah, you kind of, you got to know when to stand your ground and know also when to be caring, right? Because there are certain times that it's not about the contract. It's not about the money. This is a people business. At the end of the day, we are taking care of people. We say we're house buyers, but at the end of the day, that's somebody's home and that makes a difference. And so that means a lot to people. And we, we're taking care of the shelter. You know, the, one of the three essentials that people need in life is that shelter. And, you know, it's, that's what we're dealing in here. That's something very personal. That can be a very touchy subject. But at the end of the day, you know, also as investors, we can't get burned either. We have to know when to when to say, all right, listen, you know, you're not paying me and I've got a lot on the line here. You need to get out of my property or this deal can't go through. Sorry. Or this deal is going through. You signed on it. Now it's time to to keep this moving forward. And no, I'm not going to renegotiate something because you you feel bad about what you signed. Right. You got it. So it's part of it standing firm, holding frame, which is one of the big things I teach. Mm -hmm practice and negotiation is keeping your frame control strong. That way yep. you're not push over the people. You're fair. You're good. Yeah. But you're push over because nice guys get pushed over. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. What, what do you think? Speaking of negotiation, what's the number one negotiation lesson I've taught you? What's been your number one takeaway in negotiation? There have been a couple good ones and a couple ones I've been using recently. I'm still working on my flinch. I've got to get better with my flinch technique. Because uh, it's polar opposite of what I always was taught in negotiation. I was always one of those, you don't want to offend anybody. No, flinch away. And I've seen it work, <laughs> which is fun. <laughs> but I really think, I, I honestly think one of the biggest negotiating tactics was the specific numbers has really talked to me. And it's one of those things that I've been using in some of our other budgeting meetings in my other job. And it's like, you know, guys, if we give them this number and they go, that number. And I go, that's exactly the reaction they're going to get to. They're going to go, where did you come up with that? And I've gotten that back in response to a few times, like, wait, you're going to offer me what on the house? And so in making some of my other deals that of course never gone anywhere, you know, or making my initial offers, like some of those offers have been that obscure number. And for me, my number has been, you know, 101,713. 713 is my magical Tom number, you know, two lucky numbers there for me, seven and 13. And sure. Where did I come up with that? right here on the spot, but you don't know that. So I think <laughs> having those specific numbers has been kind of a cool ploy because I've seen how people immediately react to that gambit. And it's fun to have that. One of the reasons I call what I teach is the art and science, right? That this podcast, the art and science of real estate negotiation is that there's an artistry to the way we say things. And that comes with practice and time from implementing yep. what I'm teaching you. But what I'm teaching is all based on the science. Like you said, when you were teaching the other people at work, Hey, when we do this happens, that's scientific. We know that we do this and human nature tends to react that way. And so that's the part that works no matter how you deliver it. So I might have a very ostentatious negotiation style. You might be calmer and more formal. It's still going to work because the art isn't as important as the science of the deal. 
Um, and the, the biggest thing is you have to deliver it with your personality style and with the way that you act, you know, like you talk about the multiple different people and the multiple different ways that individuals flinch. Some people, it's the mousy squeak. Some people, it's the big, oh my gosh, you know, and truly you have to be true to yourself because the moment that you start to seem fake or it starts to seem scripted or it starts to seem off a natural reaction. So you have to make your reactions natural. So for me to naturally flinch, I'm learning how do I flinch? So, and that's one thing that, that I've been working on. And, and it's one of those, but being, you know, having that presence and confidence in, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I don't, but I'm going to look like I know what I'm doing. I read all of Tom's stuff. I listen to him constantly in my car. I understand the audio. I know how this works. And I know this is the way that things are supposed to work. So when people start trying to push me around, been really interesting to be able to push back and be like, I don't have to tell you what I have it under contract for when a realtor is pushing me on what I have it under contract for. And like, nope, this is the sale price. That's what it is. Like, well, if you're a real estate agent, you have to disclose this to me. I'm like, I know that I'm not, and I don't have to disclose that to you. So this is what the sales price is. And, you know, then of course I have him telling me to become a real estate agent. At the same time, I'm like, you know, I don't know that I really want to, because I've got some nice tactics that I can still use without being an agent and I can still be professional and I can still prove myself as being professional without having the stamp of real estate agent. Not to say that I won't pursue that in the future. I might, sure. but maybe not. I don't necessarily need that, but it's interesting to have that confidence and stand my ground when I know something's not right. So your confidence is developing simply from the act of negotiating, from applying the techniques and methods that I've taught you? From practicing negotiation, absolutely. That's definitely been one way that I've built confidence. The other way that I personally have confidence is when I know my material, I have absolutely no problem doing anything with it. You know, I can go stand in front of a room and teach somebody how to do something. You know, in a past life, I've taught people how to use high accuracy GPS and it was self-taught. And in the beginning, it was really hard for me to have that confidence because it's like, is this really the best way to do it? Do I really know this? And I had some people I could lean on and whatnot and learn from. But when I really knew my material, I was able to stand and stand confidently and say, no, this is this because of that. And so the full playbook by having the knowledge base that I gained through negotiation, through the whole traction program, through the continued, you know, little, the training session days that we have, you know, that built the confidence on this is this because of this, this is this because of that. People say you have to do something like this in this way but you don't always have to, they just say you have to. And so knowing those differences and having the confidence because I've got the knowledge to support me and knowing that if something really goes sideways, I've got somebody to reach out to, to help me out if something, if I really need it. And I've got you know more than just Tom, I've got other people here locally that I can reach into. So having a network, having a team, the team is huge. And I think I found a really good titling agency through all of this. They had my back, which was great. So now I've got this team that I can say I've got moving forward and I've got this great buyer's list of partners that are going to come doing, you know, in my inspections on houses and buy them from me. So yeah, it's been great. Funny how it all comes together. It does. Now, and it came together really fast too. Well, are you surprised at the speed? And um, is there a reason yes for the no. speed? Yes yeah. No. Well, you, th you think about it. I had it under contract in April. So from January of having zero set up, yeah. you know, I wasn't, you know, already in the real estate business. I wasn't, I had absolutely nothing other than some broad knowledge and background information. But we met in January, you had nothing. And from there, it started to take yep. off. And by April, you had your first one yep. under contract and yep. just about two months to wrap it up. Yep, exactly. It was just a matter of the waiting game. I mean, this deal could have been wrapped up in 10 days. Sure. It seriously could have, 
But at the same time, like, you know, this deal, it, it needed the length of time, right? And I'm, I'm so glad that it did because it worked out for the best. But yeah, so essentially within four months, I had my first deal under contract. And that did surprise me a little bit, to be honest. But at the same time, you know, it was, it felt like, oh, that was such a long time to get that. But at the same time, it wasn't because look at all I accomplished. And I keep looking back and it's like, wow, I've got a company name. I've got a website. I've got a new mailing address. I've got a, I've got a cell phone. I've got like I've got business cards, I've got a buyer's list, I've got all this other stuff I'm keeping track of. It's like I built this from the ground up in three months, a logo. I mean, you know, it, it's been, in, you know, I've done it all myself too, which has been kind of a big feat, but it's worked out. It's worked out great. You know, I'm building marketing lists, I'm building marketing materials, I'm pushing that down, kicking that can down the road. And yeah, to say that I'm six months into this thing and it's like, now this is where the ball starts rolling because now it's summertime and now people want to move and let's go. So yeah. I'm just really motivated and excited. Do you have any regrets? I mean, you it's not all the money in the world, but you invested some money in training with me. Do you have any regrets about it? I've seen what some other people have paid for programs and I see that they're still spinning their wheels. Do I have regrets? No, I really don't. I can truly say, I can truly say that I would not have been able to do this. You know, if I would have been, it would probably have been three years down the road and I would have had a lot less confidence. The fact that I can say, you know, I've got a mentor that I'm working with. I've got someone in, you know, in my back pocket, you know, that was the, I mean, education comes with a price. And I was, I knew that I've invested in myself in the past, whether it's going to a, an academic conference, you know, I've got two degrees. So I've spent plenty of money on college, which I've paid for all myself and paid myself through. So I know that I know paying that check and what that feels like to write a, a big check to a university. Yeah. So I know that education isn't free and I know that, but man, no regrets. And Tom, I'm surprised at the price point that you have it out there at and looking at, it was something I could stomach and swallow. And I'm looking at the value and it's like, you're not kidding. The contracts alone are huge, you know, and of course there's been some tweaks and things that I've had to make on, on all of them, but it's a baseline. It's somewhere to start. And then the training materials that are in two different formats, which is huge having that audio format. I'm an audio learner. That's how I learn. That's how I work. But then again, I was also so passionate and driven about getting this done. I think I've read both those binders at least twice. And I keep referencing them constantly because it's like, hey, what was that one random thing? Like, for instance, if this seller isn't able to get out, you know, how does that work? Oh, there's a, you know, post settlement what is it? Occupancy settlement occupancy agreement. Yep, absolutely. Which by the way, I had one draft that I put the contracts in front of me because I figured if there were specific numbers, I'd have them. But I had a post-occupancy agreement drafted and ready to go on this one as a piece of ammo that Just I'm so glad I didn't have to use. It's there if you need it. It's not meant, mm-hmm. but it's there. And then you've got a consistent set of legal contracts that you can pay. Yep. And Tom, if I didn't have your system, if I didn't have that grit list of contracts, I would have had no idea that that even existed. So that's huge because I didn't, how do you know about Googling something you don't even know is a question you can ask, you know, and it's, it was great to have, you know, I'm a problem solver by nature. And so to have some kind of a solution, to have that ammo in my belt was beyond measure. Yeah, definitely no regrets, Tom, 100%. Excellent. So what would you say to somebody sitting on the fence? Well, somebody's hesitating. They're back to the way you were right before I met you. They think they want it. They know they want the lifestyle improvement, but they're not sure scared to spend some money. They're sitting on the fence. What do you say to them? I think it starts off with some of the best advice that Chris gave me back a while back. And he was like, well, before you start jumping into this, take a self-reflection look on yourself. Are you prepared to make this jump? How is your personal life? How's your family? How's your marriage? 
Do you have a support system behind you? And I do. I'm very blessed to have a very supportive wife that's been, you know, supporting me the entire way with whether it be watching the kids while I'm out driving for dollars or whatever it may be. And I've been very blessed to have that support system. I couldn't have done it without the support system. So, you know, first off, make sure that you're settled and ready to do this and undertake it. Because if you want it, it's there. And if you get yourself hyper-focused and motivated on this, it's achievable. Anybody can achieve this. It's just a matter of, you know, putting yourself to the grindstone, holding yourself accountable, showing up for Tom's meetings consistently, you know, participating, asking questions. You know, it's great to listen to other people's stories and you can do that all day long, but you got to start asking questions. And it was great to ask the questions that I felt at the beginning. I felt really dumb asking some of the questions I did, but I knew that there are things I needed to know. And it was great. Just And there were some of them were really random and super hyper specific, but it was a point I was getting hung up on. And, you know, that was great. So, yeah, if you know, at the end of the day, if you want to get it, you know, Tom's systems are affordable, no matter what price point he's got them at, you know, whether it's the full listed price on his website or whether it's something that you get a deal from because you saw him at Aria, you know, I'll vouch for Tom all day long. He's, you know, truly not in this to make money off of it. That's just covering his costs. He's in this to help people and to help people, you know, improve their lives in his way at this point, you know, he was a wholesaler and a real estate guy. Probably you still are. He's still doing that, but he found ways to help other people achieve their goals beyond, you know, how do we help more people, you know, and building an army, the Tom's army, if you will, with great great traction in this army, a lot of tanks apparently. So, but that's great. And that's the way it's been great to have. And, you know, if somebody's really thinking about it, as long as you've got yourself in order and you're ready to go and then don't hesitate, do it. Because if you don't do it now, you're going to continue to hesitate on everything else along the way. So you got to take the leap at some point, if it's what you want. If you, if it's what you want, take the leap, do it. And this is the best system to have. You know, of course, I'm very biased because it's worked very well for me so far, but we're still in the early phases, right? But that being said, I'm excited about the system. It does work. It can work. And Tom's someone that is there for you along the way too, even at a personal level when something comes up. So Perfect. I love it. Roger, I do it. And I, again, I keep the price affordable. I'm trying to build, like you say, it is a small army of deal doers all across the country. Because you know what? There's now a neighborhood in Minnesota that got better with me in the background. I'm not taking credit for everything you did, but I know I'm having a cause and I'm affecting those different things. And you start multiplying that by a number of different people. That's my personal mission. And no one may ever know who I am in your town in Minnesota. And yet I know I've had a big impact on that. And you start multiplying that out and that becomes that's my deep personal mission. And then what it's done for you, what you're going to wind up spending your $17,000 on and improving your family and your life and doing more deals that will give more stories and be more motivated sellers with problems that you will have helped and solve their problems. And I, I find that, I know it sounds a little corny and it's definitely cheesy, but that's the way I feel about it. That's one of the things that keeps me moving forward. We're in the Midwest. You can be as cheesy as you want. <laughs> See, I'm an East Coast guy by birth, so it's a. <laughs> mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Yeah, terrific. Any other uh, anything else? I want to thank you for that. I want to congratulate you on your first deal. And anything else you'd like to add? I don't think so. After we got the situation solved with him, you know, there isn't much more to the story than the closing, and the closing went smooth, smooth sailing. People signed. Seller had to sign his deed transfer twice, but that was fine. Just signed in the wrong spot and we don't, nope, that's not going to pass muster. No big deal. So that was the most drama we had at the closing. It was great. Everybody was happy and everybody was moving forward. And to be able to shake everybody's hand today and be like, yep, you know, thank you for everything along the way just felt great. So no, I mean, I, I have nothing else to add at this point. I'm excited and motivated to keep this moving forward. I know that this 
has established a business that's going to be continuing on for foreseeable future, that's for sure. You know, regardless of where the real estate market goes, people still need to sell their houses. People are always going to be in a place where they need, you know, they need something more than they want to do something. And I'm going to be there to help them along the way. And I'm looking forward to being there to help facilitate that because of the knowledge I have and the experience I have now from helping somebody all the way through and knowing, you know, hey, this is what we did in this deal. We can make this work again for you too. Fantastic. Roger Schultz, congrats and thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Your next step is to visit TomZeeb.com. There you'll find full show notes for this episode and all past episodes. Make sure you download a free copy of the Deal Flow Maximizer. This free resource will show you the five key marketing elements to get your first five deals. And if you're enjoying this content, share it with a friend and leave us a rating and a review. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes.